Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, but also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And in fact, will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. May God richly bless this the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. I am the worst preacher to have on Mother's Day. First off, I'm not a mother, but I've known a couple. Second, I don't typically celebrate Mother's Day as a religious holiday. So for me, Mother's Day doesn't usually start till about one or two o'clock in the afternoon after I get home from work. In fact, if I were to wake up my wife or to call my mother at 4.30, 5 o'clock when I leave the house to come to work on Mother's Day morning, um, they might try to kill me. That might actually be a good idea. I might have to try that. But the reality is, is because I don't celebrate it as a religious holiday, most of the time, um, I... I usually have somebody else preach for me, or at the very least, I might not even bring it up at all. But, but this year, I decided in all of my inadequacies to defer to the master, and I called my mama. And I said, Mom, I'm going to be preaching the 11 o'clock traditional service at my church this Sunday. What do you want me to preach on? And she said, I want you to preach on family dinners. Because it's around the dinner table as a family that she always felt the deepest sense of being a mother and a family. And see, in our house, when we were growing up, uh, that was one of the uh, uh, ironclad family times. Um, we said prayers. We heard about each other's day. 
Uh, we turn the TV off. If, if we bothered her so much about wanting to watch TV, then she would turn the TV on to one of our favorite programs, but then she would turn us away from it, so she would watch it instead of us, and we wouldn't be able to actually see what we're able to watch. So I have learned from the master. And so today, as I looked at what the scripture was for this Sunday, uh, the Christian holiday of the festival of the Christian home, I came to a story that on Mother's Day, out of 14 verses, ironically talks about the father 13 times. But we come to a deeper truth of what it means to be a family, of what it means to be a child of God, and to have your seat at the table. So mom, here's my Mother's Day sermon on the family table. Jesus spent the last night with his disciples around a table. And on that table, at the end of the, what we know as the Last Supper, he decides to give the disciples his last and his most enduring lesson. The last commandment, the last mandate. Love each other as I have first loved you. And he, I would almost imagine, desired this moment to be something memorable, something deep, something eloquent. But I believe Jesus probably experienced the very same thing that millions of parents have experienced over the years since then. That parents who wish to pass on some very deep life lessons around the dinner table will find some very non-cooperative kids on the other side. As Jesus begins to try to explain to them just what will happen, but the hope that they'll see on the other side, of all that they're afraid of, of all that they're anxious about, that I'm about to go away, but I go to prepare a place for you. What Jesus maybe had in mind, I feel like quickly, like my dinner table often did, because of me, just fell apart almost into chaos. As very quickly, Peter sort of jumped up, sidled next to Jesus and said, where on earth are you going? I want to follow you. But Jesus says, you can't go where I'm going. I want you to stay and I want you to love each other. But Peter almost says, I don't care about loving anybody else. I desire to just follow you. I just want to be with you. In fact, I would die for you. I'd lay my life down for you. And Jesus says, interesting. Hold on to that thought. And let's see that by the end of the morning, when the rooster crows three different times, if you'll still think the same thing. And so Jesus tries to grasp back the lesson that he's trying to teach, and he begins to outline just what exactly he plans to do. To go to the house of God and prepare a place for us. And he begins to outline how incredible and miraculous that day will be, that we have a place in God's house and at God's table. But then... Again, like millions of parents have experienced before, and I certainly do around my dinner table, the kids start to pull out what I call the tricks. 
And the tricks are what kids pull uh, to do anything else other than what they're supposed to do in that moment. And the first of many tricks is just incessant questioning. Just ask as many questions as possible, uh, as annoying and as illogical as possible. Just flood the space with questions. And so we get them from many disciples. We had them from Peter. We get them from Philip. We hear from Thomas. Where are you going? Why are you going? What does it look like? Can we see God? And they begin just pestering Jesus with specific questions about a deep and an abstract truth that Jesus is trying to pass on. It's almost as if Jesus can't keep up with them at first, having to reiterate and revisit the point time and time again. But again, when children don't get the answer that they so desperately desire, they go to trick number two. And trick number two in this case is... uh, Philip kind of coming to Jesus and saying, well, can you just, can you, we, can you just show us a little bit of God? And, and if you just show us a little bit of God, then we'll be satisfied. This is the dinner equivalent of, if you give me a cookie before dinner, I promise I'll eat all my dinner later. Which we all know never, ever happens. You give a child just a little bit of one thing they're not supposed to have, and all of a sudden you feel like you've lost the entire dinner. And Jesus knows that they won't be satisfied. He almost knows at a point that there's no specific answer that he can give right now. He just wants them to know that he is going to be with them again. He just wants them to know that of all the places that they may fear to be in this life, that they will end up together again in the very house of God, at the table of God. And in fact, the table that they're at tonight will not be the last family dinner table they will be at for eternity. Simply to say the promise of God is alive and real. And it starts and it's found around a table. There is a place for every single one of the disciples. For ones that, in fact, in just a few hours, we talked about Peter, will turn around and say, I don't want a place at that table. In fact, I don't even know the host. I don't know that man at all. And he turns around and denies Jesus and walks away. But if you want to see how deep this promise of the table goes. How deep this promise that God desires to be with us again. Then let's just stick with Peter for a few days more. Because after Jesus is resurrected, he appears to Peter again. As they're out fishing up in Galilee, and Peter realizes the one who he's turned away from, the one who he's turned aside his seat at the table and rejected that he even knew him, will see Jesus on that shore. And Peter will be so overcome with joy, will become so overwhelmed with seeing his Lord that he will dive through the water 
to swim as hard as he can to crawl across that rocky beach to come and to see Christ. And when he does, Jesus meets him and calls him back with a seat around the table. With fish and with fire, with breakfast, Jesus invites Peter again to realize just who he is. A child of God. Not defined by the choices that he made yesterday, but defined by the table that he has found out, the very table and invitation of God. For Peter to truly become the rock. To truly realize his place at God's kingdom. The table is an image that moves all throughout Scripture. In fact, several times this week, and through the sermon last week and the devotion the week before, we've heard the 23rd Psalm. And at that Psalm, there is a promise that God will prepare a table. Prepare a table for us, and even that table, He will prepare in the presence of our enemies. And in front of every single person who said that we do not have a place, that we do not have a a worthiness, that we do not have a space to be able to come before and to feast next to the God of all creation, God will feast with us in front of all those names who said we were not worthy and will show us a promise and a hope that He desires to always be with us around that family dinner table. And as miraculous as that might seem for us, as overwhelming or amazing or awesome as that may seem, hear the even better news, the good news this morning, that that day is a normal day for God. The one day that God will desire to spend with us for all eternity, to be with us and to feast with us. When I asked my mother why she wanted to uh, hear a sermon about the dinner table, she said that one of the best lessons that she ever had is that if you could choose to go back and relive a single day, don't go back to live the stressful days or the big days. Go and live the normal days, the days where you truly realize who you are and what you're a part of. The very table of God is big enough for each and every one of us. For us to desire and to go and invite others and to show them that they have a place and that they have a name and God desires to be with them. So on the Sunday, hear the very promise of God that you are loved and there is a place for you. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me today? Almighty and precious God, we do give you thanks. Lord, we give you thanks for dinner tables. We give you thanks for your Son and your Spirit, who has showed us just what it means for us to be a part of the very family of God. What it means for us to realize that we are not defined by just the choices that we make, but by the table that we find ourselves at. And choosing to continue to sit and to feast and to be with each other and our God. Lord, and that table is big enough that we can take that invitation out into the streets that is not found behind locked doors, but Lord, it is an unlocked life 
that delivers the very promise of salvation and of hope and of light to the world. And that is good news for us this week. As we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.